I'm Mel. And I'm Tosh. And welcome to another episode of Mahogany Momology, an online dialogue pertaining to the concerns and carefree parenting of Black motherhood. This week, our marvelous Mahogany Mom of the Week is Lynn. She's a member of the Mommy Moves tribe and wears many hats on working on their hub space for mothers. Congrats and thank you for your hard work, Lynn. Congratulations, sis. And now, on to the show. So, the idea of being a mother and facing motherhood brings, of course, various emotions, right? Mm -hmm. Happiness, sadness, just everything of the unknown. So what about when your child is identified as having special needs? So in today's episode, we will be exploring the perspective of her mom and her daughter who has special needs on their journey during childhood and into adulthood with our guest, Miss Jillian, Miss Lillian Flakes. Sorry about that. I don't know why I thought Jillian. I don't know. <laughs> but Miss Lillian Flakes, thank you and welcome. Thank you so much. I'm so happy to be here. Yes. Well, Lillian, is a geophysicist, and I hope I'm saying that right, and proud mother of two girls, the youngest with Down syndrome. Her youngest daughter had a heart defect and other health issues that required 92 days of hospitalization her first year of life. Lillian is a natural problem solver and understands the challenges every caregiver can face the overwhelming task of managing hospitalizations, numerous doctor's appointments, medications, insurance claims, along with balancing the care of family. As a key component of her blog, Beyond the Waiting Room, and we'll give you a link in our show notes, she provides a peek into her personal challenges along with resources, tools, new technology, and inspiration. In addition, she often speaks to groups, thankfully such to ours, Mm -hmm. um, in the medical field about care that's compassion, action, respect, and education, which is the cornerstone of treatment for all patients. Welcome again to our show. Thank you. Mm -hmm. Thank you so much. Well, as Tosh loves to say, we like to dive on into this. So how did you learn about Catherine, and Catherine is her daughter, how did you learn about Catherine's needs? I'll say it that way. Well, we we found out that she, um, I was seven months pregnant, probably more like five or six months, really, pregnant, and we went to high-risk OBGYN to find out her sex, find out the sex, Mm -hmm. and they discovered she had a heart defect. And they said, you know, 50% of the children with this heart defect, have they have Down syndrome. So I need to get you on. That was a Monday, and our oldest was with us. She was seven. Mm -hmm. We were there. It was the reveal, gender reveal, if you will, and... It revealed a lot more. And the heart defect didn't phase me because I, a good friend whose son had that same heart defect, had surgery and no issue. Okay. Down syndrome, I, ha- I hadn't even gotten there at that point. And three days later, we went to a pediatric cardiologist and, and she said, I, and I still have these sheets of paper. Here's a normal baby's heart. Here's your baby's heart. And... She started to speak, and we didn't hear anything else. Sure. And she said, more than likely, she uh, the baby will have Down syndrome. And so that was the, that was our opening act to Catherine, if you will. So during that first appointment, not with the pediatric cardiologist, did they talk about doing genetic markers or going through, like, genetic testing? None of that. No, that wasn't a—at that point, 
we, I had what the high-risk OBGYN, he, I had an amniocentesis, and that mm. confirmed that she had Down syndrome. Right. Okay. So we knew, okay. we knew at that point, two weeks later, later he called and confirmed she has Down syndrome, okay. and this is the heart defect. So in, at that point, the progression of care changed for yeah. me and for her. I had to visit the, an OBGYN, a high-risk OBGYN, a pediatric cardiologist, and so on. So wow. appointments started right away. Oh my goodness. And this was, you were seven weeks or seven? Seven months. Seven months yes. pregnant. Yes. What's it now? Isn't it like, there's a, like a five month marker? Is there like a time that you can actually like test I, now? There could, or is they it always do do it, months? but I can't remember I during like what. Is, I know it's definitely during the second trimester. Sister, I remember unless, doing it. Unless you have a family history, history of it. Such. Yes. Okay. But yes. yeah, so I mean, essentially yeah. she was in the second, almost beginning of the third yeah, trimester. Second trimester. And they can. So she was right, you know, yeah, she right on schedule right. to yeah. have it. And because of the heart defect, the amnios- amniocentesis, and some people opt not to have it because they're like, okay. we don't, some people, we don't need to confirm. We wanted to confirm. Because we wanted to prepare for her, mm-hmm. and that was important to us. And you needed to, we needed to digest it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you know, because it was a lot to digest, and it was a whirlwind for my husband, myself, and Christina was seven. That's my oldest. She wasn't aware of anything until after birth. Even after birth, not until surgery started, did she really understand as much as a seven-year-old could understand mm-hmm. that my sister has challenges, you know. Mm-hmm. Sure, sure. Can you tell our mammologists, like, give us some insight on, like, what a typical day is um, for you working with Catherine or having Catherine as your daughter? For, in a lot of ways, it's like a typical child. Okay. That you, when you, we wake up in the morning, we live an hour plus away from her school. Oh. So our day starts early. And you and I prepare for her like I prepare for Christina in terms of prepared for her when she was 13 in terms of getting uniforms together, lunch and everything. But you wake up and and waking up because transitions are difficult for Catherine. Okay. They're getting better as she gets older. But you but you the conversation is very different when you're waking her up, and it's a lot of coddling and a lot of, come on, you can't say get up and walk out. She's going to look <laughs> just lay there. I don't, I'm not going to get up right now or tell me I need five more minutes, ten more minutes. And that's to me is. That's not like my kid. Yes, that's just, it, <laughs> some things are very normal, mm-hmm. and some things are, are different because I'll tell you what, it, when we commute, if you're, we're in traffic, none mm-hmm. of us likes traffic. Yeah. But we may, ugh, you know, we sigh under our breath. For her, it's a challenge. It is a real challenge. And when she was younger and we were in traffic, it was there was a lot of um, hitting. She'd hit herself. Mm-hmm. She, would, uh-huh. she would act out in ways that could hurt her, where she could hurt herself. And we had to work through that. Okay. Because you had to constantly soothe any trick. Here, you want some gum. Our our what we found worked is if she had music, so okay. she's in school most of the day, mm-hmm. like like any typical child would mm-hmm. be. And you pick her up. Her afternoons there's activities. She goes to therapy. Mm-hmm. We recently changed to once a week. From the time she was three 
until now, she's been going to therapy twice a week. And before that, when she was younger, she was in therapy with um, early childhood intervention where they came into the home. So there are a lot more therapies, a lot more doctor's appointments than I had with my oldest. She still sees specialists. That occurs in some cases. One specialist is every three months. Another one is once a year and, and so on. But those visits were a lot more frequent when she was younger. How oh. old is she now? She's 13. She's 13 now. Okay. Okay. So wow. she's, you know, she's a teenager. She's a, yeah. Yeah. She's, yeah. I, I would assume, and I, I hate to say I wouldn't want to make the assumption, but you are describing like, okay, so there's a little bit of um, working with the challenges, but uh-huh. then there's a little bit of just regular teenage normalcy regular, in there. And uh-huh. it's just like, how do you balance? You're fighting screen time. You're, yeah. You can't I was say, use how do you balance all of that? And she's like, no, I want five more minutes. And you're like, no, we've th- this is enough. You have to put it up high where she can't see it. But the challenges were <laughs> when she was younger, and I was thinking about this this morning. If you look in our house, we have sec- locks up high because she was a runner. When mm-hmm. she could open the door, she would run outside. And you would think, we thought she was upstairs in her room, and she's on the back lawn. Oh, so you had to move like a regular door lock up. up yes. Because of. You had to secure the house in a way because she would run, and and it's they, it's flight. They just a need to just run, mm-hmm. and so mm-hmm. some things in that respect, the care and the medication when she was younger that was different. Okay, mm-hmm. when she was um, discharged, her final visit after those ninety two days, she was on fourteen meds. Okay. And we had to administer them anytime, anywhere from once a day to every three hours. Wow. So that's a tremendous amount of, those years were a lot more stressful for us than they are now. When you, prior to having Catherine, were you full-time mom, full-time working mom, uh, stay-at-home mom, and how did that? Full-time working mom. And how did that affect... I started consulting. Okay. And uh, adjunct professor is what I started doing during that time because I wanted to keep my craft at the same time. There, don't get me wrong. There were periods of time where I had to give it my full attention. That ninety-two day period from the surgery to that was a year that I was focused on her. My husband and I like to think of that as the the year we went down under. Because if you ask me what happened in 2006, she was born December 2005. I couldn't tell you what was in the news. I couldn't tell you. The only thing I remember is Katrina from that year. Yeah. 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 Well, I had to think. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But there wasn't much else. I, I, I can't recall anything that wasn't significant going on in that year because we were in the midst of her care. Mm-hmm. And, yeah. Of course, of course. So. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. I think most people probably only remember Katrina too. So <laughs> yeah, I remember. Yeah, I think it's kind of it's kind of normal. Mm-hmm. So, well, let me ask you: uh, as we are discussing uh, just the perspective of special needs, is there um, a way we need to be speaking about your daughter? Is there such language that can, that affects the way how we discuss her and her abilities when you are either talking with us or talking with um, new people or anything like that. The, you know, the, the what strikes me is the terminology. Yeah. Because yeah. you see a lot of, mm-hmm. and for me, as long as you don't, do not use the R word. Gotcha. And I am 
I, I'll go as far as saying I, I am offended when I see it in um, official documents mm. to mm. describe individuals mentally challenged, differently abled, special needs, intellectually challenged. Those terms are, are, and some people may have issues with any one of those. I don't. Okay. I don't. I just don't like when people yeah. refer because that demeans and it marginalize it. It can marginalize that community, our our community, mm-hmm. our yeah. children, mm-hmm. and individuals, and that's what's hard to listen to. And for the longest time, like you're mentioning, they were in medical documentation, mm-hmm. yeah. so it's just one of those things. You definitely want to speak like a first person yes. language, yes, but. You know, when you have medical doctor, uh, medical documents and medical doctors mm-hmm. older who have been treating for a long time, um, it's hard to break habits. Yes. You, that's all I'm saying. Yes. It's just hard to break. Yes. Not to say that it's, you know, I mean, it's not right. right. It's exactly. not right, period. Exactly. You know? No. Exactly. But yeah. Exactly. That has been embedded in our environment, mm-hmm. sadly. But I think it's changing. Mm-hmm. I think people yeah. are, are moving and they're educating themselves. Right. And becoming more aware. Cool. I am noticing that. You, you mentioned that your drive or commute for her school is an hour. Is this a specialized school other than where your other daughter went to school? Yes. Okay. It's a school that caters to children with special needs. Are there quite an abundance of these schools throughout the United States, or do you find like people are moving, transporting themselves to live within the vicinity to come to this school? I know there are some families I've met at her current school who lived as far out as we do, and they've moved closer in okay. to, to, so that they have access. Yeah, And that's that's another part of this. We live in the Metroplex, and there are numerous tools and resources available to us for people who live in the sticks way out. Yeah, They don't have the resources. They yeah, don't have definitely. the information or access. Or to get there, it's too much. But we we found that this was a great choice for her okay. at this season. As a as a teenager, a preteen, mm-hmm. she starts. She's been there three years. Oh, okay. So it's been it's it's done well for us. Good. Where was she at before then? She was at another private school that was um, closer in. Mm-hmm. To was us. that more mainstream? She, no, it was in fact more focused. The student teacher ratio was like two to four. Oh, wow. It so, was really specialized. I know, I'm like, focus. oh, that's great. And we got, and she she really blossomed. Yeah. That's where she learned how to read. Okay. And that's where she learned, she thrived. Mm-hmm. But as she got older, she, the, the, the demographics of the school didn't change a lot. She needed more interaction. She needed more socialization. <laughs> when you look back at her at three, from zero to three, she was at home. Mm-hmm. Okay. She couldn't interact with other kids. No mom stay out for health reasons. She was with us. So socialization, that was delayed for her. And the next step was to, we put her in the public school pre, pre-K program for a year or so. Mm-hmm. And then we switched her to a friend's child facility. And that was even further out. But again, it was, and that provided the socialization. Yes. And that was mm-hmm. typical. All of the kids were typical okay. in that okay. environment. And it That's pulled cool. her socially. It really closed a lot of gaps socially. And then she went to the other school where we wanted the more focused effort okay. for her to learn. Sure. Nice. 
Would what are some features you would consider you oh excuse me, what features parents should consider when looking for schools? The first thing I look for, and I call it a school's opening statement, how do they greet you and how do they greet your child? What's their temperament? And we all have that intuition mm-hmm. when you know when you meet someone, okay, is my child gonna be okay here? And then I look for the safety and the environment. Is the environment safe? Is the environment warming warm? Is it welcoming? What is it going to give her in that? And I look at the mission and the philosophy of the school to see, uh, does it align with what I want her to have? Mm -hmm. And the one thing I can say I've derived over the last 13 years, and I think the last because my oldest is 21, is um, it's not a one-size-fits-all. And a one-size-does-not-fit your child the whole time. You have to, you constantly revisit, is this working for her Mm -hmm. at this time? And if it is, you keep on moving. And if it isn't, that's difficult when you have to pivot. I was going to say, because a lot of things that you're describing are things that I think a lot of parents have to think about Mm -hmm. every year, every, Mm -hmm. you know, uh, is this this still the right fit? Does Mm -hmm. it still make sense? I don't care if it's a public school, private Mm -hmm. school, charter school, Montessori, you're always... You know, look, evaluating that thought mm-hmm. process, mm-hmm. but I feel like we just have more choices in this case. Exactly. Whereas you're like, ooh, if I got to pivot, yeah. you don't have an abundance yes. of choices. Yes. So yes. do do you find that you ever thought about like private tutors? Is there such a we thing? Have, or? We have private tutors. Okay. In we, addition to. In addition to. Oh, okay. okay. We have a, a and she's a public school teacher that teaches special education, and we found her through another parent that uses her for their child. And, and she's been working with her now for almost a year. And that is just another venue, another opportunity for her to capture information. Yes. I was going to say, what made you decide to, you know, get the tutor in addition to traditional schooling? We, what was the motivation behind the that? The motivation is she, we're blessed that she, has the ability to learn. Now, I, I, she's 13, and when you have to sit and read that your child is reading at a first grade level or second grade level, that comprehension is at kindergarten, you're just like, whoa. But we, my motivation and my husband and I, when we think about it, we're, we're, we think about her long term. Mm-hmm. And we think about if she could read. And my husband was very adamant about, I want her to be able to read if she's able to, and she is. And that's one of the things she works on. A lot of reading, fluency, comprehension. And mm-hmm. the, and if she's 25 and she's reading Junie B. Jones, that's where she is. She's moving at a pace that she, is, she continues to learn, and that opens up new opportunities to her, just yeah. like it would anyone else. Oh, absolutely. You know, the same thing. Yeah. She has her favorite books. Um, she does not like um, Bob books. <laughs> she was in an SMU. Oh, room. really? <laughs> she's not. She said, she no, we ain't doing these Bob she's, books. I'm not doing And it's not that it's, it, I, and I don't think it's the subject. Yeah, yeah. It's just, I don't want to do this. I, she's like, y'all. You know, she was in a reading I am program. grown. Yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean? Right. She doesn't want to do that. But she has her favorite books. <laughs> yeah. Favorite toys, favorite everything. Mm-hmm. She, I mean, she's, in a lot of ways, she's typical. A mm-hmm. lot of ways, she's typical. And in a lot of ways, 
the special needs with socialization, um, inappropriate language, behavior boundaries, all of those things is where you see where she's special needs that comes up. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Do you see Catherine being independent? I see her being, what we're thriving for is for her to be as independent as possible. Mm-hmm. And when I think of independent, I think of my, like my oldest daughter on her own. Mm-hmm. No. Okay. No. She, she will not be able to live alone. That's not, that's not an option for mm-hmm. her. And I, and I would be afraid she, someone would take advantage of her. She's always going to need that extra layer. She's always going to need it. I just, we just want to make sure. I keep saying I. We just want to make okay. sure. <laughs> we just want to make sure that her, her, she's not living in in poverty or not living at a substandard level when she's an adult. And it's amazing where you're placed in life. When my oldest took piano lessons, her recitals were always at a nursing home, mm. and we would go to the nursing home. And we'd see this young man with Down syndrome. And this is before Catherine. And mm-hmm. I would always say, why is he here? Mm-hmm. And that's one of the options that's available mm-hmm. to adults is to live in, a nurse, live in a nursing home, a group home. We would like for her, and my daughter so graciously, my oldest one, I want her to live with me when she's older. Wow. And that's, we're grateful that that's she a testament. wants it. It is. It is. That's what she desires. So we want her to be as independence takes on different levels. For example, in her school, they have a course that they take called Daily Living. Okay. And there, and you walk in the classroom, there's a bed, mm-hmm. washer and dryer, there's a dishwasher, mm-hmm. there's a microwave, and their activities, setting the table, identifying utensils in the kitchen, how to use a washer and dryer. And what I find that I do more, I, I teach her more about housework than I've taught my oldest because I know certain skills and being able to do them, they take longer. I feel like a whole bunch of kids need to take that, not just cat, <laughs> not okay. just those with Down syndrome. I'm okay. Well, let me ask, how has raising Catherine affected or has it affected your relationship with your older daughter or, you know, what does that look like? You know, that if she is what I called a fierce protector, fierce protector of her yeah. sister. And that is, um, she, I remember being in a restaurant and um, Catherine must have pushed a chair back and someone looked at, didn't realize they were startled by it. And Christina thought they're being rude to her. And she wanted to get up, and I said, no, sit down. <laughs> There's nothing you need to do here. And she's always looking to make sure people treat her well. Mm. She doesn't want her mistreated. She's she Now, they fight like any siblings fight. Catherine gets into her stuff. She's like, I told you to leave my, my makeup alone. And she's like, I want to wear makeup <laughs> like you do. You know, it's, it's what was so funny to us. Is uh, Christina had um, homecoming um, dance, mm-hmm. prom? You know, Catherine's toddling along, looking, and finally, after in her senior year, she's I want a dress. 
Aww. I want to dress up. I want to put a dress on and I want shoes. So that 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 sister that bond to me is just is we had to work hard to make sure that Christina's life stayed as normal as possible. Mm-hmm. In fact, we were told by her pediatrician when she was when Catherine was at her sickest, she just pulled us aside. She said, "This baby is sick and doesn't know she's sick, but this baby, pointing to Christina, knows her sister is sick." And what I want you guys to do is to bring in family members because we've got a long haul ahead of us. And we don't want her marginalized because you guys are so focused mm-hmm. on the care of Catherine. Right. Mm-hmm. Right. So we went, we tried to balance that out consistently. Our mothers were here constantly, you know, to make sure. And we had time with her. They would sit at the hospital with Catherine. Mm-hmm. So all of that care had to balance out over time just to make sure that she had normal because life changed. It's not like adding a new sibling. Right. That's typical. We right. were adding a sibling that had medical and intellectual challenges. Mm-hmm. Are there other family members um, kind of still around, other cousins that you live nearby? or No cousins, and it's just the four of us here. But we've got a host of friends. That's okay. That, are, that have stepped in and do tremendous things to help us. Mm-hmm. I mean, it just, when, when we, it was one family in particular, when... Catherine was sick. They took they took they have a daughter. She's eight days difference in age from Christina. Mm-hmm. Christina spent countless hours with them mm-hmm. because and and it was again when you when your child is somewhere safe and you can care mm-hmm. for mm-hmm. the one that needs it mm-hmm. a little bit more, that gives you peace of mind. So friends stepped in. The family, the 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 center that's in um that we sent her to, that family has been a pillar in our in our lives since Christina was two for more than for decades. Mm-hmm. So we've 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 got a great support system. That's so cool. Nice. That's very nice. Now going back to the schooling for your for Catherine, I've been doing some research okay. and they were talking like while students with special needs overall are more likely to graduate with a traditional diploma. So I'm thinking like mm-hmm. thinking high school and yes. such like that. Um, um white students, I should say, are more likely to graduate with a diploma than the black and brown peers. All right. So it, it, we've been talking so mm-hmm. far about her education and how you're pre- and how are you preparing to overcome that statistic of potentially not completing school. But it sounds like, you know, you guys are very much on the path of her trying to complete. We're on the path of getting a diploma. Exactly. Yeah. Of getting the diploma. Have you encountered other um Black and brown families who have children who um, that are, are struggling that are, that are struggling in the system. Yeah, quote unquote, is it? Yeah, a lot of families struggle, and in, and what's so unfortunate in the school system and and I was reading up on legislation. Something was on the news last night about services and what's available to our community mm-hmm. and education when there's a cut in um, funding, it hits the special needs community pretty hard. Mm-hmm. Immediately. Immediately. It's an immediate hit to them, mm-hmm. to us, not them, because it's me. <laughs> There's an mm-hmm. immediate hit to it. And for 
black and brown children, we know the hit is even harder because you're struggling to get resources. And I've met families in all settings, public, private settings, and you're struggling to get the, the resources so that your child is has an even playing field. Mm-hmm. And then as they get older, they become even more marginalized. And then you don't have the resources. And then you, you resort to, why keep trying? And you give up. Mm. And put... What what when I think about about education and our children from birth you're sprinting to kindergarten, then you're sprinting through elementary, then you're sprinting through middle school, then you're sprinting through high school. That's any child. Mm-hmm. For our community, it is even if they don't get the services that they need, they can't. They don't have what they need when they become adults. And it's far more detrimental to them in their survival. You end up in poverty. You end up with substandard living. Mm-hmm. And it's just, it's, it, it is, it hits our community so hard that it, it, it is something that when legislation, when we're, when we're dealing with legislation, you're dealing with the laws and people think it's not a box you check or it's just, it isn't the impact is far more reaching, I think, to black and brown children. Mm-hmm. And then you put the other layer of special needs on top of that. What's something that's um being cut or like say for example, funding's been cut. What's a resource that you believe any school should have? I think you you should at least the the resource where you're able to pull ch- students out of the classroom for extra um, education, like the students are mainstreamed into the classroom for music or they're mainstreamed, but when they go to the core subjects, they're pulled out okay. and they're able to get that special attention to work on reading mm-hmm. their individual mm-hmm. education plan that they've set out with their annual meeting and they're able to target those goals and get that help. You know, the conversation, so in that when I look at that question, when you're sitting in some settings, and it's a it's your mainstream. You're having side conversations with administrators and teachers, but when you're sitting in an environment where all the students are special needs, that conversation happens during an orientation. The orientation you can talk about things like self care, what what your child needs because they may need an extra extra help. They don't happen a lot in the public school in a public setting because. It's a mainstream environment. Mm-hmm. Mm. And what I, I, a colleague of mine, her daughter works in, in a public school and she's a special needs teacher. And she started working with a special squad of cheerleaders. And the parents did not want the children with special needs to be affiliated with their typical children. So they tried to get rid of the program. Why? Because they just didn't, uh, that didn't fit. What that this doesn't fit. It's not perfect. So when you when those are the things that go on. It be on people. Yeah. They so busy worrying about like nothing. Yeah. yeah okay. Because <laughs> mm-hmm. it don't matter. So yeah, that, that, <laughs> no, that's it's just yeah. 
Ugh, that, that is disheartening. <laughs> it yeah. very much yes. is. I like that's and that's not even the adequate adequate word I want to say. That is, is, just, is Catherine involved in any activities? Now she mentioned the cheerleading. Is she involved in yeah. anything outside she's, of she, quote unquote school or within school? I guess extracurricular. Yeah, yeah. She's involved in swimming. Uh-huh. Oh, cool. And she swims at a at a swim school that Christina attended. Mm-hmm. Which is so cool because it it is and and what I loved about it is because I, I was reluctant. Okay. Because, okay, they're going to be behavior, attention. She has attention deficit. She won't pay attention. You walk in, and, and I was so, I said, hey, I have a daughter. She has Down syndrome. I want to put her in the class. She has challenges paying attention. And he immediately said, we'll pick an hour that's good for her. We'll put her in the corner of the pool, and we'll pick a teacher that has the right temperament to work with her. Catherine, and and I remember sitting on the edge, and they 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 got her to hold her breath and put her face underwater, and I was like, wait, jump, wanting to jump in, and she is, she asked for it every week. I want to go to swimming. I want to go to swimming. I want to go to swimming, and she's been going for years. We took a break because of of allergies, mm-hmm. but for her, that's that's something she looks forward to. We tried gymnastics. She's done that. And that's gone well for her. Um, next year, we want to try cheerleading at her school and karate at her school. Oh, nice. So the, the activities are out there. Yeah. And businesses yeah. and individuals give of their time to accommodate. And mm-hmm. that's so we look forward to seeing what that does for her. Mm-hmm. Now, one thing we're doing this summer is um, sleepover camp. Oh, yes. <laughs> <laughs> at so, the school? No, or is this like, like a. Outside organization. It's a outside. summer camp. It's a summer camp. Sleep. Sam was sleep sleepover camp. Is it is it geared towards geared towards children with special needs? Okay, she'll be fine. Okay. Yeah. she'll be fine. No, yes. I, 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 <laughs> yes, yes. But, but you're still a mom, and any yeah, mom. You, I mean, it, these are yeah. just any mom things. Yes, you they know? are. Yes, yeah. they are. I have the same. I have the concerns I had when Christina went away. Exactly. Yes. The first time, you know, it's just like. But she. What's funny is when I told her, I said, "You're going to sleepover camp." And I said, now you're going to stay there. And I named all of her friends that are going to be there from school. And she said, you going? I said, no, mommy won't be there. I'm coming home. I'm not going to sleep there. I'm a- <laughs> So we'll see how this turns out because she's like, all right. But I think all that's All right, you awesome. go that first day. She's going to be like, bye. <laughs> right? And you're going to be like. I hope so. Just run. She's going to be like. Well, my baby, can I get a hug? Bye, then, mom. Bye. bye. And then, of course, mom goes in the car and cries. Yes. 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 That's what we do. Yes, I will. That's exactly yes, what I we will. do. Yes. She didn't even hug me. I, right. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. I love it. <laughs> What's the name of the, the, can you tell us the organization that you're doing it through? Seek Camp. Seek Camp. Can, do you mind spelling that for the? S-E-E-K Camp. Is that national or is it specific it's to the Metro? a local camp. Okay. And a number, of course, when, because um, one mom mentioned it to me, you've got to send her. And I was smiling. And in my mind, I was saying, I'm not sending her away to sleep over camp. And she said, they're not. She said, I know what you're thinking in your head. There are nine or 10 students from her school going. And this is my daughter's second year. And I started tracking down parents. I'm like, is your daughter going? Yes. My daughter's been there three years. My daughter's been there two years. And one mom's like, you know, I don't trust anyone. And I trust them. 
And it's, so that's it, comforting. That was know. comforting. Yeah. yeah, exactly. Yes. So I'm looking forward to, and I when you speak about independence, mm-hmm. for her, I think it's important because that gives a level of independence where where we're in, where we don't have the struggle with getting dressed. She she could come back. I can dress myself, and I don't need your help. I can do this. I'm looking forward to open op, seeing it open More. avenues for her. You know that she can. Because she gets something as simple as buttoning your shirt was a challenge for her. She mastered that maybe a month ago. And in the morning, it's all the rave to get dressed. I got it. And she'll button her shirt. I'm like, okay. And she's, I did it. And she's standing in the mirror looking with this proud look. I, I, I buttoned my own shirt. And again, if you look at it, she's 13 and some parents may look oh my gosh she's just getting there what we say is she got there yeah i'm like go girl yep see, <laughs> you're we like see you. okay we see you then she's gonna start picking out the tutus and the and the <laughs> all so, of that yeah she's gonna be fashionista in mm-hmm. a minute yeah as she we, gonna, uh, yeah as yeah. she should yeah, right? right but that's so cool though yeah, yeah. <laughs> so we talk about independence and and you know the, she's she is a she's a girl so yeah. how how are you Talking about like other typical social and emotional things that she's going to experience too. So, you know, what if she likes somebody? That's already what, happening. Oh, Uh-oh. and how we, you know what I'm saying? That's like, already, there's still the typical. She, you know, she and and I think I and I found this about about this at pickup carpool, and one of the teachers said, "I don't know what's going on, but <laughs> she's got this," <laughs> and. They just, they just, they, they, sometimes they, they do things to antagonize each other because they don't understand. And other times it's just, you That's know, their way of shooting their shot as the young folks. Say. Exactly. <laughs> shooting their shot. But she, I think, I think she, she'll talk about little boys in her class a lot. Mm-hmm. Beyond that, I don't know if I know how to cross that bridge with her, to be honest with yeah. you. Because I don't know what she really understands. So, and that that leads me to the question of, are there like certain support meetings, certain counseling sessions that the school provides its parents to help them parent along the way? Absolutely. Oh, They provide a number of resources for us. Mm -hmm. They have a number of, um, like they, they have a session on planning your trust, planning for the future, how to transition. Your wow. child from from their school and the transition process. There, there are um, fairs in the fall and the spring where you go in and they talk. They they invite group homes. They invite individuals, attorneys who may help you work on a trust, mm-hmm. and all of that works. And you you have to start the planning early because when I when I step the sprint through um, preschool all the way to high school, and my husband and I talk about Catherine's care. We made plans to prepare, and you guys know as moms, for our kids to go off to college so they can eventually care for themselves. Mm-hmm. We have to plan for her for the rest of her life. Mm-hmm. Yeah, mm-hmm. definitely. And, it's yeah. Because, and we have to be integral in putting those things together. So they offer us a lot of resources on how to, how to do that. There's a roadmap. This is what you need to do. You have parents that you talk to. Like we're a member of the Down Syndrome Guild. Tons of seminars. We get weekly newsletters. 
tons of camps. Yeah. Mm. Like they have a, three camps this summer. I can swim. I can ride a bike. I can play tennis. It's all about teaching them things that typical children. And, and it, that's for the younger kids, but all the way up to self-advocates, adults mm-hmm. with special needs, with Down syndrome. They offer them resources. And it's just the community is strong. The community is when you walk in, everybody you, you can share a story or you share an event and somebody's like, I've got a resource for you. And that's constant. And we also get help from our therapy. Mm-hmm. Her, she has private therapy. So they're always giving us information, newsletters, where to find this. Are the therapists, they're suggesting you might want to consider this for her. Mm-hmm. This would be a great thing. And a lot of times they've attended local schools or their camp, former camp counselors, or they've worked with a program. And they say, I know this is good. And you trust them. Mm-hmm. So then you, you grow to trust what they're telling you sure. as a resource. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I love it. I love it. I'm just thinking. I'm just like, she's she's 13. You know, like she likes boys. Yes. You yes. know, she's going through puberty. Yes. It's like all of that. How do you deal? How do you deal? Because you know? well, the body's still accelerating. The body is still the body. Just, yeah. Know? Everything is on time. That's what's <laughs> Everything is on time. <laughs> Okay. So when everything... And you got to deal, you and know? And you deal. And you have to... I remember when the time came, <laughs> you and it, you're sitting there dealing with it. And I was sitting... And at that time, we had a nurse um, that would come in the evenings. And I remember looking at her. I said, so what do we tell her? She said, you tell her the same thing. Okay. <laughs> I said, what are we going to do? She said, we're going to do this. We're going to... You know, she we went through it, and and it was probably shock, just just shock. Yeah, because you don't know, like I, you don't, yeah. you're not, you're not even thinking you're not about thinking. that. That's the last thing to you're be not. have typical, no, typical developing yes. things is the last thing on your mind because you're always, and I, you know what, I'm not even going to speak for you, but it's just yeah, like, you're always, and and the pediatrician because you you're thinking me. like. Other stuff you're like hyper, part, you're, you're hyper focused, and you're forgetting the present of yeah. the exactly. mindful yeah. of the quote unquote exactly. present. Yeah, and mm-hmm. and she. The pediatrician had been telling me for two years, probably in a couple of years. And I'd say, okay. And I just kind of brushed it off, like, praying, Lord, you know, you can hold this back <laughs> from her. She doesn't have to get this. And she does. She does. <laughs> sure gave her, like, a she already had removed the whole whole, <laughs> the whole process and but God she, said she's, she's still, still a girl, girl. she's still a girl <laughs> okay. and she she responds <laughs> well, well to it she responds she de- it doesn't she just when it happens she said cycle and I said oh okay okay and See? you and and it doesn't the whole process and the school promotes independence. Mm-hmm. They promote you can do this, and she has a can do attitude around. So now it's 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 not an event, but for me it was an event the the first few times. Look, some sure. of us without Down syndrome, it's still an event. Yes. Okay, so. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Come on, some folks, you know, the cramps and all that. Yeah. You know, yeah. I mean, and that's real. That's, that's, you know what I'm saying? Exactly. That's a real thing. But how, you know what I mean? Thing. I'm glad that you you know you had the resources. To at yes. least educate her, like you know what, this is what's going on. Yes. Like you're going, you may even be more cranky. Right. You know, you may, yes. you know, she has, she has P 
PMS, and I told my husband mm. the last time I said, with her, it meant some pretty mean stuff. <laughs> but she had, she, That's... but we had to, because she doesn't fully understand it as PMS. So what we had to do is anticipate. And when we saw behavior changes, we're like, okay, this is what's going on. Let's just, let's not push so hard in this mm-hmm. area. Let's mm. just kind of pull back. And then, then you have an easy transition. Yeah, because I'm like, you have to follow, like how we used to, I don't know if we still do it, but like on the calendar, you yes, got to follow that's the exactly calendar. exactly what I do. You know, you know. Oh, yeah. On you, your the cal- circle and the X's yeah, and yes, the count yeah. in the days. And yes. so you know, like, okay, this week, you know. She's going to be here. She's going, you know. And then she'll come out of it and we'll be all right. <laughs> <laughs> we'll come out of it. Mm-hmm. Do you find that you have a easier, do you think your journey is easier than someone who has a, a boy with Down syndrome? Or, I do. Oh, that's a good, okay. That's a good I question. I, and I'll tell you, and I'll, 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 I'll drill it down to something more. An African-American boy and an African-American girl. And here's why. Mm-hmm. Um, we know our children, our, our young boys experience challenges when they become a certain age mm-hmm. and they move from being that cute little seven-year-old and all of a sudden they start to grow and they flourish. And I, and I, and I remember saying to my husband, I said, I'm glad she's a girl. Cause I do, I had friends who have boys who had challenges and things that they were dealing with in school. And they'd say, I'm not trying to say this is everywhere. It's consistent or that, but it, my child is experiencing this. And I just, I don't want that too. I'm just being honest. I did no. not want that too. I said, I don't want that also on top of it. When you think about it, as black boys, you know, we're cute. You know, they're not weird, but they're cute up until seven. And then, you know, in society, they're perceived as adults. Yes. So now that's a typical developing. So add that to special needs and it's like... It's it's a hyper kind mm-hmm. of thing. Yes, I, uh, yeah, that's yes. just a whole different. And I think people animal. were sp- I, I, we've experienced. She she's very affectionate mm-hmm. and very loving to people, and sometimes she doesn't understand boundaries. And I think if she were a boy, I think she could be received differently for sure. Mm. So, how's the makeup of the school like? Because I know you said it's very welcoming. Are you finding that there are is a good ratio? Are there's are you a minority at the school? Are you like close to a majority of African Americans? We're probably we... African Americans. Probably thirty percent. It's a good forty percent. It's a good number. Mm-hmm. And you also have other groups represented. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Probably half. Is minority. If, if I if I could okay. sum it up like that, okay. half is half is minority, and a, a large portion of the students have Down syndrome. Large portion of them. Okay, because she's mainstreamed in, so she's at a. Okay. She's at a school, and there are autism. Right, that's what I was thinking. And there are other. Yeah, yeah. that's what I was like thinking. Other diagnoses. Other diagnoses. Yeah. Exactly. But a large percentage of the large, students okay. have Down syndrome. Okay. At the school. Gotcha. Mm-hmm. How can parents, we kind of touched upon a little bit, but how can parents, teachers, and school administrators in mainstream environments 
be useful and helpful to the Down syndrome community. Invite them in. Invite our children into activities. We have our neighbors, they have three children, and their older two are closer to my daughter's age. And what brought me to tears, because my daughter had, my Catherine had my phone, mm-hmm. and she was playing um, off in the driveway. And I was, I observed her, and I don't know whether, I think Merle was out there, my husband. And she can take video on the phone. Uh-oh. And there's a video of her sitting with my neighbor's youngest, who's a year older, and a girl from down the street, just hanging out. And I didn't know, and I was in tears when I found it. Because sometimes, and not very often, but the older two were friends with my oldest daughter. And when they see her, they stop. The, the, the middle child is a boy, plays football. He'll stop whatever he's doing, if he's hanging with his friends, and come over, hug her, pick her up, talk to her. And it's just that, that acknowledgement of her is means so any any special needs parents when their kids are recognized or you reach out or can you bring her to the party mm-hmm. we'd love to have her that means the world to us and you just you understand that they're going to be behaviors mm-hmm. they're going to be some things that they do that are not they don't fit the norm and when that happens you are you don't react or dismiss them. That's huge to us. That's really big. Wow. I love it. I love it. We talked about a little bit of legislation in terms of um, clearly when cuts happen, the community is affected the hardest. Mm-hmm. What's something in legislation-wise maybe a parent doesn't know that's out there that is useful to them to help? them help their child in some states especially here we have their programs where children are waitlisted for okay and like the one program that Catherine is called the class list and what it does is once you get on that get on you get accepted into the program you're open to a lot more services now the waiting list is long in the time she's been on the list since 9-11-2006. She's not come off. And if she ages out, she gets to 18 or she matures out, she won't be able to get lifelong benefits as an adult. Mm. And a lot of parents don't find out about it until late. Mm. In fact, if you find out about it when your child is 10, because the wait time is so long, and you can age out, or you you're too old to get it. It's not available to you. So you you're better off getting on a list of this nature when you're diagnosed. When you're diagnosed, like, when you're an infant. When you're an infant. But you need to you need to even know to to get you on the list. list. Well, that's reason why yeah. I'm, I'm yeah, yeah. Have, that's reason you why don't I, know, it, you don't you don't know. The only reason we you only found know out, what you know, but we, you know that's exactly. why we're here. A visiting nurse came. She came, she was doing uh, weekly visits with her after birth, and she mentioned it. I said, "What do you mean a list?" She said, "You need to get on this list." I said, "For what?" <laughs> she said, "For services." And we were like, "They're not going to give us services." They're like, "They're they're," and a lot of parents believe 
if they're middle class, that they they don't qualify. It's based on your child's needs, not what you can provide. Because again, you want them to have the services now mm-hmm. because it'll help them progress, but you also want them to have it when they become adults. So once they get off the, or not, I won't say get off the waiting list, right? Or get, they get accepted, I guess, into the program mm-hmm. is the right way of saying it. Once they get onto the program, what would they receive in particular? Therapy services. Without paying? Without paying. Medical coverage. Um, sometimes medication is covered, and that's huge. Mm-hmm. That's huge to a lot of families. That, and, and we haven't talked about that, but the cost of medication can be enormous. One uh, of Catherine's yeah. meds, one of them, cost us 400 a month, three to 400 Just one. I believe it. I believe it. And when a child can't have ther- therapy, early on she had speech, physical, and occupational. And she didn't age out, but she no longer needed um, physical, but she still has speech and occupational therapy. Mm-hmm. They have been an incredible resource to help her bridge gaps, just like the tutoring yeah. does. Mm-hmm. And some families, I met a, a mom at her school two years ago, and she said, my daughter just got in that same class program. She just got got accepted into it. I said, well, where have you been in therapy? She said, we have not been in therapy at all since early childhood intervention. Since she's wow. three and she was 15. Because she did she said, we didn't, we don't have the resources for that. So that's the difference. When you when programs are cut or when they're not funded. And legislation is important. Legislation Fine. is important. Mm-hmm. And we're, and that's another thing we're called upon. It could be by a support group, her, a, nurse, home, a home health nursing agency, or any special needs um, program that knows about. And they're asking us to write our senator, write your local con- congressman, and let them know what your position is. Call their offices, asking you to be an advocate. And the general population probably isn't aware of what that impact is to our community. It, it's and it's it's very real cuz our kids won't get services. Mm-hmm. What's um I know we probably talked about this. Do you know of any support groups um that you can recommend to mothers who have children with special needs? Uh, the Down Syndrome Guild has been um a cornerstone for us because of the different resources. Now, I was also in a support group in my local community that the local school put together. Mm-hmm. And it, and that's great because you understand what is there locally mm-hmm. that you can get your hands on. Um, and I think every school district probably has a support group. I, I have educators who are administrators who I also turn to as a resource. And they're always telling me if, if I'm running into something, I'll pick up the phone and call one lady in particular. And she's like, okay, here's who you need to call. Here's mm-hmm. what you need to do. And if you can't find a support, I have no, if I look at a child and I know a child has Down syndrome, I'll go up, especially early on, I'll go up to a parent and introduce myself. I said, hi, I'm Lillian. I have a daughter with Down syndrome. She's three. I see that your son 
has our daughter has Down syndrome, and we often start a conversation, and I learn about that. I learn about from them. Mm-hmm. I get information. And a lot of times it's just trudging through when you're sitting in the therapy in the waiting room. You see the same moms week after week. That's a, that's a support group. Because a lot of times you're sitting, whatever that latest struggle is, if you're sitting there for an hour and a half, sometimes two hours, you're sitting there exchanging information. So the support group may not look like a formal support group, but it may be a a dynamic one that changes based on where you are. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So we've spent quite a bit of time talking about Catherine and and um, legislation and different things schools can do. Um, and we try to ask this question of a lot of our guests, mammologists, but what is your self-care like? Hmm. It Right now, it's um, it's interesting. Getting my oldest off, she's uh, about to be a senior in college, getting her off and getting her through the last four years and taking care of myself have come have I, I've just started to turn back to me in terms of what that looks like I would have to say I've always been a, a person to exercise mm-hmm. I've always done that but my eating had a whole lot to be desired so what I've adopted in the last three months is clean eating I don't 80 percent of my diet is not processed um very controlled on fruits and vegetables, and it's not low-carb or keto. It's just clean eating. And what I found is I sleep better. I've, of course, lost weight. I am focused. And I've just put me... I think what happened during the years of rearing, and I think this is this is for any mom, is you lose yourself in the process of caring for your children and your family. And you just put yourself, when they say, you know, you put the mask on yourself first to secure, I, I didn't, I, I, I lost my mask. I didn't even acknowledge that I had one. Mm. But now I acknowledge that I think my mom would always whisper in my ear, if you don't take care of you, who's going to be there to take care of your family? So I started doing things like, Exercise, I said always, but eating right, and their the sleeping improved, the focus improved. Mm-hmm. So now it's I I feel like I I'm owning who I am. Finally, again, and standing and 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 I'm I'm I can say I have more joy. Mm-hmm. You know, it's 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 mm-hmm. not happy, mm-hmm. it's joy. Mm-hmm. And more peace. And I think when you when you spend, t- I like to read. I like to, I spend more time reading, journaling. I'm a person of faith. I spend more time reading. I call it quiet times. Having those quiet times, trying to have them daily, <laughs> so that I can get up and face the day and not feel like I'm facing it by myself. Mm-hmm. That's nice. That is nice. I love it. So to kind of just wrap up overall, what's what is something new moms, you know, or moms who are, you know, pregnant moms who just got the diagnosis of their child having some sort of special need? What is what is what is something that 
what advice would you give them in the initial moments um, regards to child rearing or anything like that? You're not by yourself. Mm-hmm. You're not by yourself and you're not. Um, there is help out there. Mm-hmm. You don't have to walk this journey alone and you don't have to feel as if this is too much and get help if you need help. One of the things, the mistake that I think I made early on, I'm every woman, it's all in me. Mm-hmm. I can do this all, all on my own. And I didn't do a good job of always receiving help. And when people want to help you, you need to let them help you. And that was huge for me because when one of my friends, I said, okay, I need your help. She said, oh, I know that's huge for you <laughs> because yeah. I just, I felt like I can do this. But you are not, don't try to walk this all by yourself. Get help because you, this is a marathon. Mm-hmm. We're preparing for our kids for the rest of their life. And you cannot do this alone. Cannot. Mm-hmm. Where can people um, find out more or reach out to you for advice and support and, uh, or, or advocacy? My blog is beyondthewaitingroom.com. And if you, if you contact me, if you have questions, one of, the, one, of the, one, of our aspect, one of the aspects of the blog is providing resources. Anything that we encounter that's a positive experience is going on our blog. And we and if if people have resources that they think are useful to families, contact us and we'll we're always happy to cover things that can help other families. Very good. Well, thank you so much. Thank yes. you for having we me. Really this has been it. fun. Good. I'm glad <laughs> you enjoyed it. It was an enjoyable experience. Yes. Thank you. So All right, so please check out additional resources and links in our show notes where you can find out more information about Ms. Flake's, her blog, Beyond the Waiting Room. We ask that you rate and review this and other episodes or send us an email at mahoganymomology at gmail.com. Then continue the conversation via our Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter pages. Until next time, I'm Tosh. And I'm Mel. And we thank you for listening to Mahogany Mammology. Bye-bye.